Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bet Talks. Man, me and Kate took a little bit of time. We've been away for a bit, but you yes. know us, we, we got to take our breaks and then we come back with something fabulous. We've and traveled so- to Mars, Jupiter, <laughs> Uranus, Saturn, um, pretty much the whole solar system. And now we're back on planet Earth. Kay would love that, actually, because he is an astronomy enthusiast. Yes, indeed. So if there's some trips to the moon, I don't know. My husband might be gone for, what, how long does it take? A couple years, three years? Well, with technology <laughs> now, anyway, we'll, we can discuss that. Okay, well, time. we won't go off on a tangent like we just did. <laughs> but we wanted to welcome a guest to the show. Um, her name is Emily Sanders. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'll let Emily tell you a little bit about herself and what she does, but we are very excited to have her on the show today. Like you said, Elizabeth, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I'm uh, licensed in the state of California. And so um, I love working with people. I work, well, I do a lot of work with individuals and couples, um, but I, the way that I treat my clients is always in the context of their relationships. Um, So obviously we're going for individual and personal growth, but um, a lot of our personal growth means growing relationally as well. So absolutely, I love it. And yeah. our and our relationships, you know, they affect everything. The relationships we have with our family, our friends, our significant others. So we can cultivate these good habits of building healthy relationship dynamics. I think it just helps you to have a better overall holistic type of life in general um, as you interact with different mm-hmm. people. But I was curious, I mean, just this is an off-the-cuff question. What is your sweet yeah. spot when it comes to being a therapist? What do you enjoy the most? Oh, my sweet spot. Okay, so technically I'm a psychodynamic therapist, which means that when I'm working with my clients, I'm paying attention to what's happening right now presently, but I'm also going backwards with my clients as well, and I'm exploring past relationships, um, obviously, parents are major, but relationships that can also be um, cultural influences, religious influences, um, all of those things, and figuring out why are we the way that we are. Um, attachment is a really big deal for me. So no matter what kind of work I'm doing with whomever I'm sitting with, I'm always thinking about attachment, meaning how did um this person's primary experience typically with mom you know moms we carry a lot of weight we get a bad rap for that (laughs) but how did parental influence um shape the way that we show up in the world and yeah so that being said I really like doing long-term more analytic work okay Yeah, I, I like that you brought up kind of the parent effect because I think that gets underestimated and how we turn out as humans because that's our foundation, right, as people. And then like, how do we know when those foundations are healthy or not healthy? And then how do we change that precedent of maybe what we've lived through or experienced, you know, and what has been in a family for generations? So, I mean, one of the things I think that's hard when people are dating and getting in relationships is kind of understanding each other. And there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding that happens initially when you're getting to know someone. A lot of assumptions are made. How do you like talk your uh, to, to your couples about bridging that gap? Because I think every couple gets to a point, right? Sometimes where things mm-hmm. are going great and you're getting through some barriers, but then you hit that power struggle piece, and there's just things you just disagree on. I mean, how do you kind of walk them through that process? Well, in general, you know, the beginning of a relationship 
tens ought to be quite fun and euphoric and the connection and the navigating challenges comes easily right because you're in love and you're infatuated and you can your tolerance for your partner is extremely high and the longer that you're together and you start facing more um conflict the tolerance goes down and so a lot of couples can find themselves really frustrated and i think it's important the first thing that i tell anyone when they're on the phone with me even deciding if they want to work with me is explaining are we allowed to cuss on this podcast do we cuss here? yeah well you can this isn't, well, okay <laughs> i'm not a vulgar person but in general i do tell my clients you know you have your own personal crap mm -hmm. your partner has their crap and then you come together and you create crap mm -hmm. and so it's really helpful in couples to sit and think through what is yours and what is mine and how does what we each bring into this relationship in many ways just kind of explode off of one another for most couples the, the most sensitive sticky parts are where trauma interacts right we can trigger each other and that's not even on purpose it just happens so it can be really really painful for couples well sometimes wouldn't you agree it is triggered on purpose you know knowing your significant others you know past traumas um, I know Elizabeth uses this term trauma bonding, I think mm -hmm. is a term. Yeah. And yes, sometimes it is triggered, you know, mistakenly. But then there are there are times where it's 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 intent is initial. It's it's on purpose when, you know, individuals tend to to purposefully, you know, trigger that trauma. How would you address that? Now, you know, again, I do agree that mistakenly it sure. does happen. But how would you address when Sally or Johnny, you know, they are purposely always triggering one another's past traumas. Well, I, I mean, my first question, well, no, let me back up. I think there are, a, is a very small subsect of people that are extremely manipulative mm -hmm. and out to weaponize um, past hurts against one another. In general, I would say those people that are truly at the core vindictive and you do not want to be in relationship with those people, that dynamic will never ever shift. Now, for your average couple where deep down at the core, they're not vicious, they're not out to be nasty, but when they're in these high conflict moments, yes, then they'll weaponize or um, take cheap shots as I call them. Typically for most couples, they're at a point where they're extremely desperate. They're desperate to get hurt. They're desperate to be understood. And this panic that wells up within them, I mean, brings out in many ways their own trauma, right? Um, in general, when we're in a safe relationship, we should be sharing our sensitive pockets with our partner and even in heated moments because i love this person i'm not going to weaponize their past against them or um again take cheap shots so if there is a couple that repeatedly finds that they or one person is acting in a way that's super ugly and hurtful intentionally we do have to figure out is there some sort of personality disorder going on or some you know some kind of deeper issues or a mental health issue that's happening here or let's explore that desperation i mean even down to couples like laying hands on one another that by and large are not aggressive people right mm -hmm. 
Um, does that make sense? I mean, I've heard, I've had men or women say, I can't believe it. Like I shoved my husband. Like, how could I do that? I know that's so wrong. Um, or I, you would never believe, I hate to even say what I called my wife. And outside of the heated moment, there's so much shame. And let me ask you something. Like, yeah. You, you did use yeah. the term, and I, lo- I really like how you exp- you know, how you explained, you know, your answer based on my question. But you used the term that I'm just hearing so much now. And in my opinion, it's almost like a cop out mental health. Now, I know there are individuals who really struggle with mental health. You know, um, I've seen it in my own family dynamic. I've seen it with other individuals. But honestly, mental health, you know, we know that can be a chemical imbalance a lot of the times. But if we're only going to define mental health as that, then all of us, you know, have mental health challenges. My whole point is this. We all are, you know, as, as human beings, we decide what we are doing, what we want to do, what, what our intent is. But for some reason, I'm just noticing it's always related to mental health. I mean, we've had mass shootings that have taken place. And I know we're talking about relationships, but when you said mental health, that triggered something. You know, when do we cross the line and say, okay, no, this person was just a bad individual. They knew what they wanted to do and they did it. We, we can't use the mental health piece as a, as a cop-out. Mm-hmm. Well, so it depends on the couple. Like, for example, you can have somebody who struggles very intensely with obsessive compulsive disorder. And so you can have a partner that has wildly vicious and torturous intrusive thoughts. And so that can impact the relationship if let's say their um their theme of ocd is relational they could go and ask their partner 30 times a day are you sure you're not cheating on me you still want me are you sure you're not cheating on me you're not cheating on me right like can i just look at your phone are you cheating there are certain types of mental health issues that can heavily impact the relationship um and so it, it but just to throw out a blanketed mental health effects. Yeah, we have to be careful. I mean, most recently we have the Depp and Heard trial, right? Where mental health is pulled out. And um, so there's a lot of nuance. When I am working with couples who have a a pretty significant mental health um, issue that we're talking a pervasive mental health disorder that will not go away, it's so important that couples understand how does this mental health concern affect my behavior? How do we research it together so that we can label those, you know, particular set of actions or behaviors and put them in the right context, if that makes sense. And then if we're talking personality disorders, um, that's, that, you know, that's a whole conversation. It's a whole other thing. Yeah. What if you have two people in a relationship where you have one person that has a secure attachment style and you have an avoidant, and when there's conflict, the secure person may have to seek out the avoidant to constantly kind of restore balance to the relationship? Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. work with that couple to help them kind of, you know, balance it out? Because that's a lot of pressure, you know, when mm-hmm. one person's constantly trying to solve through and like also <laughs> come back and, 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 and make it better. Um, how do you help that person who's avoidant? Because maybe they've been through things, you know, significant things. Usually that's why people are avoidant. They've been through significant things. So it's just a natural reaction to not want to deal. Um, how do you kind of work, walk couples through that exercise of like kind of creating balance on both sides? Yeah, well, do you know what the kicker is, Elizabeth? Is unfortunately, typically 
What you have is somebody that's very anxious that partners up with an avoidant. And somebody who is secure has a lot more emotional bandwidth to be able to tolerate some of the avoidance, right? Without taking it personally or seeing it as a failure of themselves. They are more apt to trust when the person pulls away that they're gonna be okay and that the person that they love will come back. But unfortunately, a lot of times we have somebody that's very, very anxious that partners up with somebody that's avoidant. And so when the avoidant person pulls away, the anxious person is terrified. All of their abandonment stuff is just inflamed. And so a lot of times they're pursuing hot on the tail of that avoidant individual, which as we know, the avoidant person feels overwhelmed. It triggers their own panic. They feel cornered, they feel trapped. And so it is a very delicate dance of sitting together with couples and I use emotionally focused therapy. So we're bringing in the attachment piece and we're wanting to help build empathy on each for each partner as to why they're behaving the way they're behaving. Um, and so when a couple starts, when one partner starts to hear, oh, okay, this was your background. You, you know, you had to pull away to be safe or you've never learned how to handle your feelings. And okay, this makes sense. So it's not just me. This is how you react when you're in distress. Now the anxious person can have a little more empathy and say, you know what? Okay, you pull away and um, I'm here waiting for you. I feel uncomfy. I hope we can talk soon, but I get it. You take your space and we're helping the avoidant person understand, oh, when you pull away, your anxious partner feels abandoned. They don't know where you're going. Hey, if when you pull away, why don't you tell them you'll be back in an hour? So they know that you're gonna come back for them. And so we're trying to make little pivots like that. We're trying to demystify why each person does what they what they do in the relationship and how can we build compassion for each person's woundings. And so when that happens, it's beautiful and there can be earned security when each couple shows up to do that work. So I think, so I, yeah, oh, so, go ahead. no, I was going to say, so I think you're saying that sometimes these are just people's personalities, but it's just kind of coming up with strategies to talk through why they're doing what they're doing. And also kind of giving us, you know, giving kind of that other person reassurance as to why they're taking that action, which but kind sometimes of, their experiences too. Yeah. So their personalities, yeah, if I understand you, it. yeah, mm -hmm. or, or experiences, you know, yeah. or both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's usually, it is usually both as a collection. So um, what's difficult is when couples wait so long to come to therapy <laughs> that um, when resentment is so incredibly thick, it's like, F my partner. I'm tired of trying. I don't want to hear their side. And that Oh dear. I wish that couples would just come sooner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> would do, they would save themselves money for starters. Right, right. Like, and are you able to see that right off the cusp when, you, when you're dealing with a couple for the first time, first or second time? Are you able to assess, my goodness, guys, this has been going on oh. for a long time? Oh, I can hear it on the phone. Typically when I'm sitting with a phone console. I'm listening for what's being said and also what's not being said. Mm -hmm. So it's usually pretty evident, though. Mm -hmm. Yes. Interesting. 
So now we, you know, we talked a little bit about like the conflict and the challenges that, that you know, couples have. So now they're all, they're always trying to adjust, get to know each other, figure each mm-hmm. other out. Now you bring in other dynamics. So say you're married and we, you know, we can speak to this because we're a married couple. We have normal problems, just like other couples out there. And sometimes now you're bringing in the external parties, right? Like in-laws and family members. And it's like, there could be conflict, you know, moments because people still, now you're bringing in another dynamic. How do you like, um, how do you help couples kind of navigate through that? Like when there's conflict, it's it's tough, right? Because you have your family, which is your spouse and your kids together or a blended family. But then you also have your family that's your traditional, like biological family. So how do you, you know, usher, parent, you know, couples through like, okay, there's a conflict moment with say your husband and your brother or your husband or your sister. Like what's the best way for that couple to navigate it so no one walks away feeling alienated? Mm-hmm. Um, in the relationship, that core relationship between the husband and wife? Sure. Well, I mean, it's it's sensitive. I think what is interesting is if couples can start to get to that empathetic place where they're repairing their relationship, um, it actually does start to make a lot of sense of in-laws. And I will have couples say, you know what, I guess I can kind of see why my husband is the way he is because I heard the way my mother-in-law spoke to him in the kitchen when we were at Christmas and it made me feel so sad. And I think he got talked like, you know, talked to like that growing up. So there's something beautiful that can be said when couples are willing to align. Whenever we're dealing with in-law issues though, couples have to remember that their loyalty is now to their partner. You know, that ideally we're separating from our family of origin and we're clinging to one another to create a new family unit. And again, we bring our heritage into our family, right? Because our heritage is just what's been given to us, whether that's financial gifts, whether that's trauma, whether that's, you know, words of warmth, we bring everything. Our heritage is just what's handed to us. And then we come together with our partner and say, well, what's going to be our legacy? And we got to sort through all of of that heritage and decide what we're going to pass along. So it's so important for couples to remember that they are a partner. And if there is strain from, you know, up the family tree, um, the goal is that couples can work on it together and not let that stress or drive them apart. Um, ideally, it is wise for the biological child to address their own parents um, and to help protect their spouse um, from their parents if need be. Mm-hmm. And if boundaries have to be set, this is what we have decided and not throw ones, well, you know, my wife doesn't want to come to Christmas, so sorry, mom, we can't come. Right? Like, there's you just set her up. You, you just set her up. <laughs> you do. And so we have to be so careful of the language, like, well, I know you love us, mom, and we are sad we won't be joining you but this year we're trying something new together as a family whatever couples have to stay united and that can be really challenging um for various but what if your family but what if your family guilts you know i mean they literally guilt you every time I mean, let's, you know, and I like what you said also, Emily, you know, my, my father, my late uh, father used to always say in reference to when, what your answer with, you know, family members need to deal with family members. My, my late pops would always say, you let blood deal with blood, you know, and unfortunately myself years ago, way before Elizabeth, I learned the hard way because I crossed those bound, those, those blood boundary lines and thought I was protecting my then significant other, you know, with 
her family and it was it was just a catastrophe you know uh, you know after that but back to my my initial question though so when your family is guilting you i mean even if you approach them in the right way sorry mom we we're going to do something different this Christmas, but then the mother or the father or whomever, they guilt, you know, that biological family member. How do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, and that's something that a lot of couples, well, a lot of individuals have to deal with because unfortunately, we have a lot of parents that are very passive aggressive. And when wherever we are using guilt, someone is struggling to express directly how they feel and so guilt is like going through the back door right if i can make you feel like there's a wrongdoing then you will be compelled to come closer to me and do what i want you to do to fix it <laughs> and so kind of manipulative it's, it, it is manipulative mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. now whether that's intentional mm -hmm. right manipulations on a spectrum some people again are doing it because they don't know how to assertively speak their needs but then other people are working a system and so when you're dealing with a guilt trip it's great for people to um, empathize with the feelings yes mom i know you're so sad you want us there so much oh i can see this means so much for you unfortunately we won't be coming and there's something to be said about being able to tolerate and identify inappropriate guilt and allow mom to hold her own feelings of sadness she's allowed to be sad she doesn't get to see her baby boy or she doesn't get to see her grandchildren or whatever it is the request um she's gonna have to have her own feelings around that and that's okay for her to be sad and also adult child has to say i have to carry my own feelings around disappointing mom so this is what needs to happen it's easier said than done but guilt isn't something that's brand new when you get married, right? Typically, if someone is very susceptible to a guilt trip, they've been guilted their whole life. Mm -hmm. It's right. It's a parenting tactic. So, yeah. And I just think, you know, sometimes there's dynamics between moms and sons and daughters and, 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 and fathers. And it's just yeah. like it's a weird thing of like it is your parent so that you feel that uh, natural bond to them and sometimes hard it's hard for people to say no they're just like it's my yes. parent and so i like how you talk about empathizing with the parent because you're setting a, a boundary or a guardrail in a way of saying okay i i, I do feel what you're saying but this is kind of my other situation as well that i'm trying to respect right and i, I have to piggyback off of what elizabeth just said i i actually affirm and like the fact that you didn't, you know, try to play the middle when we, we drew that scenario out to you where a biological family member keeps guilting you. You didn't say, well, you know, well, why don't you just tell your mother this? OK, mom, we'll come this time. No, you said, mom, sorry, but this is what we're doing this year because you have to start somewhere. You have to start to change that narrative, you know, somewhere. So many times I see people, they kind of just play in between for so long. You don't know which side they're on. And it just gets to a point where you do have to choose a side and, and, and stick with that. Even if it hurts people's feelings, you know, at least people are aware of, of where you stand. How, how do you, and you know, I've talked to couples like where sometimes people will make unilateral decisions, right? Without really taking yes. into consideration um, their significant other or their husband or wife's, you know, considerations um, as far as a decision. So like I've heard scenarios where a guy will just say, my mom's going to move in and she's going to come in for mm. this period of time. And there's not a talking to, mm. I know, or it could go the other way with a, a daughter Nothing, saying she's yes. going to do her, her father. So what would you suggest in that situation? Because I think it's so, it could be so like frustrating because mm. now mm -hmm. when that mother-in-law, father-in-law shows up, they may feel a certain way, but they may not know the history 
of how they've been introduced into this, you know, scenario um, with the family. So how, how would you suggest someone like handles a scenario like that? Mm-hmm. Get out! I mean, no, just, 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 just. Well, I mean that's tough because if you're, you know, if you're having an in-law just show up at the door, you know, the, first and foremost, there has to be conversation between the partner. So when you make commitments without consulting me, I feel frustrated, or I feel blindsided because you signed us up for X, Y, or Z and um, keep continually reinforcing these decisions have to be made together. These decisions have to be made together. I mean- Well, Emily, that was pretty calm. That's a pretty calm (laughs) response. I like how you're dressing it down, but we just mentioned a a parent-in-law shows up at your doorstep saying that they're moving in for a couple of months, three or four months. Right, like maybe, because you know, you hear stories where like something happened to their house, like, okay, you gotta come here or maybe- Right. And there was no discussion. In the perfect, I mean, in perfect world, right? You can say, oh, hello, Barb. It's so nice to see you. I have to say, I was not aware that you were moving in. We would love to have you come stay for three or four days. I need to talk to, you know, my husband a little more about this. Or, you know. Then you shut the door and you hear a whole bunch of yelling going on. I would for sure be yelling. Yeah, we're going to talk all right. (laughs) Yes. And unfortunately, you know, there may have to be partner going back and saying, I apologize, mom. I said yes to you without consulting my partner. This is really embarrassing for me to say, but we can't do this. But I'll still book you in the Holiday Inn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, until we... So what about... um... I will say to your point, Kay, that is a more likely scenario where... A partner will say, oh, yeah, I said mom could come over for a week. That is way more likely to happen than like the whole movie. Right, scenario. right. I took it extreme, so, but it definitely happens yeah. on the other end. Right. And you're just like, oh, right. okay. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so when I do think, though, when it comes to, oh, yes, I invited, you know, my family to come stay for a week. Well, that's wonderful. But we can't have them here. And so, you know, you can either tell them they can stay in a hotel and we will help you know, will help pay for half the bill or they can't come. You know, it's all the compliments. Yes. All with yeah. a smile. I like how you're just smiling with that. I can see you in action, actually. You know, sorry, mom. You know, we're booked for the day. Saying we're booked, but you're talking about your home. You know, you're going to have to stay. So. Full occupancy. Yeah, it's uncomfy. Oof. So we talk. So Kay did mention that topic of trauma bonding, and sometimes you are mm-hmm. like, for, I don't know about you, but I'm coaching uh, clients that are couples. They're dating. They're trying to move towards that marriage level, but they are struggling with like communication. I mean, we all have stuff. We all have baggage, right? Post trauma, totally. and some oh, people. Yeah. Sometimes you have a couple. Maybe one person is willing to put in the work to to continue to cultivate that development around it, but you may have one person that's not, or they're kind of on and off with it. So of course, there's that constant. Mm-hmm friction because you're not really developing the same way you know forward in a way one's inconsistent one is trying to and so in that scenario when do you advise a couple like you know what i don't know if this next step is right for you or is it just that like we all have our baggage and at some point you know you're just gonna have to go through i mean you're gonna have to go through within your relationship this process and and it's you know when is it normal and then when is it abnormal i guess is what i'm asking sure Well, like everything in life, um, our behavior is on a spectrum, right? So there are 
some couples where it is easy to just bring the lack of effort into the room, right? In a therapy session and explore it. Typically how a couple is at home will show up in session. And so for me, I will, uh, that dynamic will show up as in one partner's doing more speaking than the other one. Or I can tell one partner is like disconnecting and their mind is floating away. And so it's a lot of work in that moment to, oh, hey, Bob, it looks like you, hold on, hold on, Janet, I got to interrupt you. Hey, Bob, it looks like, it looks like you left the session. What's happening? Right. And so like, it's nice in a couple session because I can wrangle people together. Right. So we have like cases like that. But then there are other couples where it is very evident that one person is very um, is very passionate and invested in shifting the relationship and the other person is not. And that's really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes in those cases, I will suggest that we pause uh, couples work and um, shift to individual work. Um, so that's sometimes an option. Um, I do think that there's something to be said about the painful space of realizing that our partner doesn't want growth like we do. And so for the partner that's so eager to cultivate a healthier relationship, at what point does there need to be acceptance and say, okay, like message is received. Um, your non-answer is my answer. I mean, it's very heartbreaking. Sometimes there's this fantasy that if we say things the right way, or if we word it just the right way, or if I can be the best partner, then I'll finally get my needs met. That's hard. That 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 is hard. When you when you mentioned the 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 part of you know you have to accept. I I don't care what you know type of relationship you know, a couple may have when you come to grips uh, with, you know what, this is just what he's going to do, or this is what she's going to do. You know, my mother, for the most, you know, for the most part, there were some things when she remarried, you know, she, you know, had to adjust and had to accept. Now, was she still vocal about some things? Yes. But when she realized, you know, well, look, he's going to do what he's going to do. It wasn't detrimental or anything, but it was just you know, a, a, a lack of, of communication in some instances, but then just some habits that he had that he enjoyed doing, you know. Uh, but just when you come to grips, when you just, you know, I, I have to, I accept this, you know. Um, I, I don't know if it hurts sometimes to accept um, or if it's healing to accept because you no longer apply that pressure to yourself um, with wanting this person to change, but realizing this person is, you know, this is who they are. In the next- I, I think it's both, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Because if we're talking about compromising or accepting that core needs aren't going to be met, that's a completely different conversation than accepting that our partner has some limitations that are not deal breakers, but it's maybe a need that we have to get met elsewhere or whatnot. So it can be really painful. And sometimes there's a lot of grief involved. And it's, um, I mean, I've had couple, well, like individuals who are coming in for individual therapy, and they're growing and their partner is not, and they've had to stop therapy, because they feel the chasm growing of their growth, their partners unwilling to change, and they, they can't stomach the separation that it's creating. And I don't, you know, I don't fault anybody for that. Yeah, I think what you're saying, like they're right. I think what you're saying, like if it's the things that you can accept and deal with it, okay, fine. But if it's things that in which in which you reach an impasse because it's really uh, sacrificing your mental health or your mental well being, I'm throwing that term out. (laughs) 
as far as like your your ability to be you know in a healthy relationship for what you really you know what you want what you need mm-hmm. then that's a totally different um scenario is what you're saying mm-hmm. and i have one more thing i want to ask you before you go i actually have two things i lied okay so my first thing is <laughs> I like what you said about couples, you know, seeking therapy and doing it earlier in the earlier stages. Because I often feel like people feel like I'm in a good spot. Why would I need to go to therapy? Mm -hmm. But I do agree that there's always those touchy topics. And I think if you can learn to navigate that earlier in the relationship and you actually have strategies around it, that that helps. Because we do have different ways we navigate communication, um, how we think about financial matters, how we think about mm-hmm. spiritual matters based on our foundations and how we grew up and, and what we've seen and what we've observed in our childhood, right? Um, and then we mm-hmm. bring that into this other dynamic. And at first, it may not be a big deal because like you said, in the early, earlier stages, you're, you're riding a high, you know? You're, yeah. just, you're excited to be around this person, so you overlook a lot of things. But I agree with you that sometimes after years and years of things build up, it, it leads to something major like infidelity or trust breakdown mm-hmm. or you know, other issues, it is, it feels like it's just so much harder, not impossible for a couple to work backwards to like solve through, you know, solve through those yes. things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it I is. guess, I w- yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, it is really helpful to come in when there are points of conflict. I, there are conversations that every couple knows they just spin on. It's like a tire in the mud that no matter how many times they have the conversation, nothing never gets resolved. And those are great subject matters to bring into therapy. Um, I will say I, I always find when I have a couple that's coming in for premarital counseling and they say, oh, well, like, we don't fight. I mean, there's just no conflict. That concerns me that because I'm worried, one, either you haven't been together long enough Right, because if you truly haven't hit any points of conflict, that's where you really understand who your person is. Right, we can all be lovely versions of ourselves when we're grounded, but it's in high tension moments that our real funk comes out. You never know and a person until you have fought them. That's an old quote. Yes. You never know a person until you have fought them. Mm-hmm. Or if they haven't reached that point of conflict, or if they have reached the point of conflict, then I'm concerned because somebody's not speaking up. So conflict is really important. It's the space where we get to create a deeper connection. Um, but yes, there's this balance of coming where you're starting to spin. Why not? Um, yeah. Okay. And then, I mean, and just to wrap things up, tell uh, people a little bit about where they can find you. Um, any things, any, you know, fun projects you're working on right now? I know you s- talked about your EFT certification, which I'm going to go for that one too, because I feel like that is so interesting to go from the emotion focused perspective mm-hmm. yeah so is there anything else you would... love it i think i will <laughs> i'm like a nerd with this stuff he knows i get excited whenever we have these shows because it's always nice to hear a different perspective or you know what people are focused on and how they kind of explain it. i think everyone has a good vantage point uh or i should say mm-hmm. a little different vantage point which gives you a bigger picture of like how to solve through some of these things that are common to couples and individuals that they face in relationships but is there any fun projects you're doing right now or trainings well, it's going to sound very underwhelming, Elizabeth, but no. <laughs> I mean, I w- my main focus is my clients. I, I, my private practice, I, I love what I do so much, it can make me cry. Mm. I'm very passionate about it. Um, 
and and then Instagram is my labor of love. It scratches my teaching itch. You know, <laughs> therapy is not accessible to everybody, and so you know, I put out what I I think could be helpful for individuals and couples there. So you can find me at um, Emily Therapy on Instagram or my website. It's just my name, Emily But yeah, so I'm just therapizing and parenting. So <laughs> hey, that's a lot. <laughs> A lot. Parenting yes. is a full-time job within itself. So thank you for coming on the show. We really enjoyed Thanks you. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. Thanks, mm-hmm. Kay. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it. And so I will wrap up the show now. Um, and uh, thank you, Emily, for joining us again. So if you guys want to find Emily Sanders again, your Instagram is what again? Emily.Sanders.50. Okay. And then your website? Is EmilyHSanders.com. Okay, and thank you guys for joining the show. If you want to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us on the Anchor app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and many other platforms. Uh, We had a great time with Emily, and we hope you'll check out our next Bet Talks podcast show. Until next time, XOXO. Imagine loving you enough. You don't need a like. Kids, fathers in their life just to lead them right. No longer worry about.